Hey everybody, welcome to Pit Stops to Podium, the Rev Partners podcast. We talk to execs who have competed one, taking their companies from high growth to high scale. My name is Brandon Tolleson. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Rev Partners, and I have with me today, Mike Arietta. Welcome, Mike. Thanks. Excited. So, Mike, we typically do fun facts, but before we get into fun facts, I, I, I'll give you, I'll be the one to give kind of your background, so you don't have to be the one to actually tell about yourself, because I think that's always a little bit awkward. Um, Mike is one of the most talented people I've known. He's probably accomplished more in his young life than most people accomplish in their whole life. Uh, so, from a professional standpoint, uh, Mike has held a variety of seats at some of the, the best companies that you would know from a technology space, including Dell, um, as well as DocuSign. He now serves as the founder and CEO of Garden City. Uh, Mike, how about you give the audience a little bit of understanding of what Garden City is, because I think it's a pretty compelling narrative in terms of your mission and vision with that organization. Yeah, I've always uh, loved what Warren Buffett has built with Berkshire Hathaway, where he just finds incredible, incredible companies uh, that he buys and invests into. Um, he's pretty hands-off. He just supports that management team and helps them grow, and he holds them forever. He has no intention of selling, so he buys assets that he loves with no intention of buying and flipping it like the rest of the world does. Um, so I've always had this weird passion of like smaller service companies, um, people-oriented service companies. So we created Garden City to be like a little Berkshire Hathaway focused on smaller service companies. So we invest into them, we grow them, kind of looking at three areas. We grow them through culture, through technology, and through sales, and we hold them forever. So we have no intention of ever selling them. So we've raised about $50 million um, and we have, um, yeah, a really good path in front of us. Oh, that's exciting. Well, Mike, outside of Garden City, uh, what are some fun facts? I think I'll start with one for you uh, because I learned this through some of that you connected me with. So you got your start at Cutco, is that correct? Yes, I did. And you ended up being what the number one seller in the country for Cutco? Yeah. Well, there's a fun fact. Uh, <laughs> what else about you? So what, uh, what do you like to do for fun? I mean, are you, are you a big traveler from a hotel perspective? What gets you excited in that, in that world? Yeah, that was one I told you about. Um, I don't have like, I don't have hobbies. I've never been a sports guy. I've always been very unathletic, you know? Um, a fun fact was I had a very severe stutter problem growing up my whole life, um, which was my biggest, it was just weird because I'm in sales. I've always been in sales. I started doing Cutco sales. Uh, a lot of people joke around that the reason why I sold so much is because customers felt so bad for me. They didn't want to hear me speak anymore. <laughs> and so they bought from me. So that's another fun fact about stuttering, uh, that I had a bad stutter problem. And then um, probably the last cool fun fact is I'm obsessed with hotels. Just I haven't been to a lot of them, but there's very rarely a country or place you could tell me about that I will not quickly be like, oh my goodness, you got to check out this place. <laughs> people are always like, oh, so you've been there? I'm like, no, of course not. But I've been on there on my phone like 800 times. So Oh, that's a fun it, fact. Do you have a, f a favorite hotel brand? <sighs> There's some good ones. Um, Rosewood's doing really good. Auberge is doing excellent. Viceroy. Um, yeah. Eminora. Um, yeah, there's there's some good ones. Uh, Capella. I was hoping you'd be biased, or I expected you'd be biased towards Hort Schulte after, uh, from a hotel perspective. Yeah, the Ritz was the Ritz was a lot better back in the day. I think. <laughs> I think he started another brand called Capella, which is a whole different level. They're are mainly in Asia, but it's phenomenal. Well, I think that gets back to what you were saying about Garden City, and that gets to the like heart of service 
And like, how do you create an environment where people feel (laughs) that high level touch from a service perspective to make that experience exceptional? Uh, Well, hey, I think let's transition into big idea. Uh, And so in light of your Cutco experience, but more importantly, was we think about DocuSign, uh, I love for our audience to learn a bit more from you as it relates to how to get into the enterprise. So as you think about your brand and how you grow, the enterprise is a natural place to want to go, but it's not always the easiest place to get. Uh, And so I think in light of your experience and building that team at DocuSign, this is a fantastic topic for our audience. So let's let's start understanding why. So can you give our audience a little bit of perspective as to why companies should embrace the enterprise for their for their business? Yeah, I think I mean that's the big Harry Audacious goal, right? Is to get into the enterprise. As you know, if you like a DocuSign, and just give you some experience, when I joined, we um, majority of our business was commercial. Um, aka inside sales, selling to small, mid-sized companies and and consumers. So web people, you go on, you're a realtor, you buy $15 a month. And every now and then, an enterprise company, a fortune, whatever, 5,000 company would call us and be like, hey, we ha- we want to use DocuSign. And we would ask them, well, how many transactions do you need? And they would tell us their numbers. We'd be like, whoa, that would like literally like add 10% or 5% to our revenue, like on one account. That's crazy, you know? And so that's where you always want to go. That's where you all, and why? Why do you want to get into that enterprise? So more money, typically more margin, typically longer contract cycles. Typically um, it's a competitive mode over your competitors. It's better for marketing. So when you sell to the NCB or commercial, you could say this Fortune 500 uses us. So it's a logo wall for you, right? Um, it typically, if an enterprise embeds your service into their company, there's a less likelihood that they're going to rip you out, right? There's typically more cross-sell and upsell and expansion opportunity in an enterprise in an SMB. If a company has 50 people and you just sold them the service, upon renewal, you're not going to sell them that much more. If a company is AT&T and you sell one little subdivision or one little subsidiary in AT&T upon a year or three years upon renewal, there's massive more opportunity, right? So there's just a lot of reasons why enterprise is where everyone would always want to go, but it's just really hard to get to. Yeah. And then if you, to where you're, what you were just saying, you become that category leader, your valuation just dramatically increases, not only from a credibility going downstream, but just in terms of your perception in the market. I mean, even DocuSign, it's almost like a vert. I mean, people know who DocuSign is and the category that it dominates right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the, the issue is many times that to go into the second part of, of enterprise. So why enterprise? We answer that. It's it's where you want to go. It's a big heritage goal. It's the biggest it's the biggest seven-figure ARR type of contracts you're going to knock down, right? It's the logo wall. It's the one that as soon as your competitors see that you knock down, like, how the heck do they do that, right? It's the one that you just continue to expand domino effects. Phenomenal, right? But the, but the real question is um, who, right? Like, who is enterprise and who do you need in order to sell into enterprise? So who is enterprise? At DocuSign, we define enterprise through specific revenue target. So we said everything with $1 billion and above is enterprise. So that means $1 billion of revenue and above is enterprise. So you can find a lot of that information just online if they're publicly traded companies. And then if they're not, Forbes has their big list that comes out every year of the largest private companies. So we define those as those are our enterprise um, accounts. Some other companies, they define enterprise more through number of employees, right? Because they have different business models that perhaps 
are tied more so to seats and users and whatnot. So they could define enterprise through number of employees. Um, so that's who. The other thing on who is internally is I, I've seen a lot of software companies go into enterprise too early. And what that does is they are not beefed up in order to make them successful, right? And so I remember Box went into enterprise in EMEA um, there in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and they were not properly staffed to support enterprise. Well, they signed up a couple of very large accounts because they were boxed. They didn't have customer enough customer success support over there. They didn't have enough account manager. They didn't have enough engineering support and it totally flopped, right? They had to completely redesign their entire structure of employees to make sure they could support enterprise because enterprise accounts are high touch, especially in the beginning when you have to make them successful, right? Um, and they and and uh, and then the second thing is if you're a small business, you also want to make sure that it's not the majority of your revenue, right? So uh, what I've seen a lot of accounts do is that they uh, go ahead and they knock down a large enterprise account, and now it all of a sudden makes up sixty percent of their revenue. So thinking from a valuation perspective, you don't want to go raise money and say customer concentration, 60%, 70% comes from this one account. And because what the investor is going to think is if you don't win that account over upon renewal, there goes 60 to 70% of your business. So it needs to be at the right stage, right? The who needs to be really rock solid, experienced, tenure, strategic salespeople. These are people that need to have conversations with director level people at enterprise companies or VPs or SVPs or EVPs or even C-level executives saying, hey, for example, we are ref partners, right? Here's what we do. Here's how we strategically align to your annual report or your annual objectives of digital transformation, big data, machine learning, whatever that enterprise's big objectives are. You have to have a strategic sales rep, an account executive, understand how the two companies could partner. Right. So that's the who, both who is the enterprise customer and who do you need internally to make sure you're successful son into the enterprise. Yeah, I love that. I think from a rep perspective, what you what you outlined is understanding the strategy as opposed to just the feature functionality, especially in software. What I've I've found in like the mid-market or even in the SMB, it's very much here's what our product does, as opposed to tying what the product does to solve an overarching problem that that enterprise has. Because if you can't tie it to value, uh, you're not going to sell into the enterprise space. And I think it was also important too, what you called out was not just from a rep characteristics, but also from a company perspective, that the infrastructure outside of just the rep needs to be in place for to have success in that market. And so you mentioned customer success, an example, the high touch aspect that oftentimes people neglect and ultimately have a lot of <laughs> failure in that specific category. Well, let's, let's transition into the last um, part of this conversation, which I think might be the most important is for our audience to understand. So we understand why, we understand who, but how do we actually do it? That's much easier said than done. So how were you able to do that at DocuSign? Yeah, that's the hard one, right? A lot of people know the why. Everyone's like, of course, I want to go into enterprise. A lot of people could even define who their enterprise would be and who they would need to hire. The hardest part is now that you have that, how do you actually go about doing that? Um, first, I think you need to just have a clear, clear, clear uh, strategy as to who is your target customer. So that could either be via geography or that could be via verticals. I'm a big, big, big believer in the enterprise to have vertical uh, focus. So what I mean by that is that DocuSign, I launched the vertical of telecommunications, right? So we set up a enterprise vertical focus on the telecommunications and media industry. 
Why did we do that? Because I felt that that was the best industry that DocuSign was poised for success. They had the most number of transactions that were transacted. People buy cell phones every day. They add a family member. They buy a set. They they upgrade their phones. A fixed cable line, Wi-Fi, cloud, all that stuff, right? So, what is your enterprise vertical? Because enterprise is just a macro size, but within that macro enterprise size, what is your specific swim lane that best aligns to whatever product or service it is that you're selling? Right. So figure that out. And the next thing is figure out who is that ideal buyer within that vertical, right? So for DocuSign, after a lot of years, um, I looked at the ideal buyer for us is actually not IT. It's not the CIO. Most of the time, everyone said, how do you get to the CIO? How do you get to the CIO? For us, what I realized is if telecommunications, the number one vertical, I believe will have the most number of transactions, I believe that it would be the head of sales or the head of sales ops, or I believe it would be the head of call center, right? Or the head of retail stores or something like that, right? So the actual person that was the P&L owner that had budget and actually was personally measured and compensated on the success of their business, because they would actually be more motivated to actually make a partnership happen yep. versus someone in IT that um, that they're get constantly getting pinged all day, every day, trying to figure out which systems to roll out, what technology, blah, 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 what technology stack. Um, so figure out your swim lane, figure out who that ideal person is. Once you figure that out, now you're off to the races, right? And now you figure out how do we best engage with that SVP of call center at Verizon, right? Um, and so what we would do then is uh, we put in our headcount that we needed some market development reps. Some companies call them MDRs, some companies call them BDRs, right? These are people that are not customer uh, interacting, but they are purely prospecting. They're purely outbound, right? So they're reaching out to Verizon and AT&T and everything in my example, specifically to this director, VP, SVP of these specific functions and sales with email campaigns, nonstop email campaigns, using tools like Sales Loft, right? To say, hi, I'm Mike and I work at DocuSign and we've worked with this telecom and this telecom and here's how we've helped them save dollars. Here's how we help them go more digital. Here's how we help them. And it would just be in a drip campaign. And what we saw typically was these executives would typically respond around the fourth to sixth email that we sent them, right? And so once we figured out, okay, this is going to be the outreach to them. This is going to be the verbiage that we put in that email, right? Because those words are very, very specific. I would always like to say all the emails that we're prospecting into, I want them to be fat thumb emails. You know, like if you're in the car and you're texting and driving and all yep. you should be, and you're just writing a fat thumb email, you're just putting the most needed things you need to say quickly because you're driving. Same mindset we should have when we're sending emails prospecting into customers. Everyone's getting the long scripted cold emails. Let's just send this the very simple things. Hey, we're working with a competitor of yours at T-Mobile. They use us across their 33 retail centers. They help increase, they help reduce their sign-up paperwork time from five minutes down to one minute. Would love to connect. Period. Right. So once we have that strategy, and now that the business owner, that executive responds back, right, we would call it pass the baton. We would pass the baton to the account executive, 
to the sales rep, right? And this is where we really stood apart from the competition. Competition that does the same thing as we do as it went through. But where DocuSign really stood apart was we prepared like crazy. If you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail, right? Mm -hmm. It's that simple. And so we prepared like crazy. We would read their annual reports. We would listen to the CEO's quarterly call. We would go on their person's LinkedIn, who we have a call with. We would see what things they were liking, what things they were posting about. And we would create an entire brief, an entire executive brief. And ideally, we would create a PowerPoint before getting on the call with what we believe DocuSign, how DocuSign aligns the strategic initiatives of, for example, Verizon. Right. So when we got to that call, we were already basically rounding second on the sales cycle versus our competitors would come in and ask them. So what are Verizon's goals for the year? It's all right. out there. You just got to do your homework. Yeah. Right? Um, any questions on that before? You no, I think it's it kind of what you were describing earlier. The who actually helps you execute on the how um, or, or so it's interesting how you describe that, especially in this day and age, you can't afford to be lazy to your point, all the information is out there and the reps that are going to succeed are the ones that actually take that extra step um, as opposed to just getting on the call and just showing up and throwing up based on every deck they've ever done in the past. Everything's out there. It's like, especially when you're selling to enterprise, right? They are so busy. They have so many initiatives, right? And everyone in enterprise reports upwards in a 20,000 person organization to the annual report. They know their three initiatives for the year. They know their, their, their projects in those initiatives. I remember at Cox, um, Cox Communications, we were in an RFP. And for the RFP, we created a presentation. And I, I, assumed, that, I assumed that this was normal. I assumed everyone did this, but we just went on and Googled Cox Communications, annual report. It showed one clear infographic that they created that they showed to all their shareholders. So all we did is we just took a screenshot of that and we put arrows on this. Here's how DocuSign helps on this part. Here's how DocuSign helps on this part. And that was our RFP. They were blown away, blown away, blown away, blown away. The whole set. They said, we've never, ever, ever in our life have ever seen a vendor do this. And what I realized at that point in time is all of these employees from procurement to IT to sales, this is all they're compensated on. Their entire compensation is tied to achieving these annual per- these annual indicators, these annual OKRs that the CEO is pushing down. So shouldn't you as a vendor try to help them accomplish that, right? right? And so you have the meetings, you do the demos, you become prepared in enterprise. And then from there, what you have to do constantly in enterprise, it's business cases. This is something that when companies try to sell into enterprises that they never have learned is if you're offering someone to buy your product for call it $100,000 a year, you have to enable and equip your sponsor that enterprise on how this is going to save them a million dollars a year or $500,000 a year, right? So you have to, have to, if you have the budget, hire a value engineer in your company that they figure out based on the spend that they're spending, what value are they going to get? So the investment pays for itself, right? I like um, that. And then lastly, you have to make them successful. You have to make them successful. If you make them successful out of the gates and your number one indicator is customer success, they will spend more. They will be your raving fans. They'll come on your annual user conference and say how great you are, right? They'll expand you and introduce you to other parts of that large enterprise organization. So many, 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 many people stop on the sale because the integration is so hard. You have to make sure you also have headcount, dedicated people to making them successful in customer success. 
Yeah, it reminds me of that saying that the customer and ultimately who you're working with is a hero, not you, that you, they are your priority. Um, and to your earlier point about the who, making sure you have the infrastructure in place to support that rep to make sure that you can actually take that deal from start to finish. So I love that. Well, Mike, as we conclude, any other last thoughts or comments on how to get into the enterprise? Um, yes, I think the last one is if, um, I don't see anyone doing these two things very, 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 very rarely but build an advisory board and have strategic multifaceted investors. So have an advisory board, a DocuSign. I think we got up to hundred plus advisory board members. So what that would mean is you name me any account right now, um, whatever enterprise account in the world, Delta, McDonald's, T-Mobile, what, Dish Network, whichever enterprise we wanted to get into, the first thing we did, we would email an email alias of hundred people there would be our hundred advisors that were the who's who that were mutually incentivized for DocuSign to be successful. And within us sending that email in 48 hours, we would have five people say, do you want us to introduce you to the CEO? Do you want us to introduce you to the CIO? Do you want... So many times we would not even have to send that sales law cold trip <laughs> email because we would have... Here, a shoot top, it in. Yeah, because we would have a top-down intro, right? So you're coming in through a backdoor approach. So that is critical to the enterprise. And then the other one is... It, I look at when you're raising capital, you only have to think about a, a pistol that's a revolver. When you're raising capital in your lifestyle and your life cycle, you're only going to have three, four, five times you're ever going to have the opportunity to raise capital. Raise strategic capital that could align your financing strategy to your corporate go-to-market strategy. Hmm. So at DocuSign, when we were raising some rounds, let's just say we need to raise $100 million. We would not start with Kleiner Perkins, Excel, Sequoia, because we knew in our go-to-market of enterprise, they would not help. What we would say is, who are the dream investors that their capital will be very strategic, that we could actually get them to be a customer and a partner and potentially even resell us. So what about FedEx? What about T-Mobile? Hmm. What about Google, SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, Deutsche Telekom, right? Those were all of our customers, Samsung, right? So we would go to them and say, hey, we're going to raise $100 million. Do you want to fill some of it? Do you want to fill some of it? And then whatever we had left, we would then go to who everyone starts with first, right? We would then go and say, okay, we have $40 million left, 20 million. What venture capital firm wants this? Because we already have all these strategics. And the first thing we would do as soon as we closed that round was go to those partners and say, hey, we've been trying to call into you Salesforce for five <laughs> years or Google or Microsoft and you guys never answer, but now you own part of our company. So who should we talk to about doing a partnership? And out of the gates, we would win that. And guess what? If a competitor tries to win that account in the future, they're never going to win they're it. They're never going to They own part yeah. of us. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, I, uh, I can say I've, I've learned a lot and I've, to your last point, it's been great to work with you, um, to have Garden City a part of what we're doing. Cause it certainly is true. I've experienced that firsthand. Uh, well, Mike, if people want to engage with you and to learn more, cause I'm sure they do, what are ways in which they can contact you or follow what Garden City's doing or even new story for that matter? Yeah. Um, if you're interested at all in Garden City, we buy, you know, service companies across the Southeast primarily that are durable, profitable, awesome, exceptional, and we're all about culture. You could just go to our website, joingardencity.com, join Garden City. If you want to learn anything about a nonprofit that I helped go found called New Story, we're reinventing uh, global housing for the homelessness, and we're innovating that through new solutions. We've built thousands of homes, 3D home printer, et cetera. You can check out newstorycharity.org. 
Um, and yeah, that's it. Or if you're looking for your next hotel to visit, I can give you some good suggestions. <laughs> yeah, add me on LinkedIn and we can connect there. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks a lot for the time. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, right. see ya.